Jim, thank you for coming on my podcast. Thank you for coming on the transformation journey. And well, today I want to talk with you mostly about the book industry and about Bookstar PR, um, because I, yeah, at the Reader Lounge, so me with my other project, I have been, uh, I, I have been able to collaborate with you uh, to help authors promote their books. And I have been really loving uh, working with you. And I want, I want to thank you for that. But yeah, so I, I want to uh, dive deep into into these topics, and I would like to begin with kind of an introduction to yourself, so that people listening, you know, just can have uh, an idea of who you are. Um, and I would like you to, you know, share stuff about yourself. But I would like you to share how you um, became a speaker and start, and and how you started uh, writing books, and uh, yeah, how you started your. Uh, entrepreneurial journey. Just, you know, share, share your story. Sure. And uh, feel free to jump in uh, if you want. Um, Thank you. I would <laughs> say, you know, I started uh, when I was in high school. Um, I, I thought I was going to play football, American football. And uh, I was just, I'm a pretty short guy and the, the bat pads would come over my head. <laughs> and I was just, I was, I was getting beaten up all the time. So I, I knew that I had one real talent is I could perform. I could sing. So I decided to become a musician uh, that helped me get into college on a full scholarship. So all of my university, my college was paid for as a professional musician. I do have a music degree, mm. but while I was there, I found out that to make a living at that, you actually had to be really good. Um, and I was not, I was <laughs> adequate. I, I was just mediocre, uh, maybe a little bit better than the average guy, but very classically trained, uh, choral, church, opera, like very formal. It was mm. not like my rock and roll mind. My mindset mm. is I wanted to be a, a lead singer. So they say those that can't do teach. And so I became a <laughs> middle school teacher and I was in the public middle school. I did that for six years um, and I loved it. It was great. And I took a summer job at Hard Rock Cafe. Now, Hard Rock at that time only had 11 locations in the world. And the one that came to Orlando was the biggest restaurant in the world, one of the busiest ever. And uh, I started there as a host. My hair did not go up back then. It went down. <laughs> down. I had a long mullet, like two and a half feet that I could, I could sit on my hair. Oh. <laughs> so really long hair. This is back in the 90s. And uh I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the people with tattoos and body piercings and colored hair and craziness. It was rock and roll to the core. Mm -hmm. And I just, I stayed there for 21 years. Uh, 16 of those, I was running training and development. So I opened up all the hard rock cafes and hotels and casinos and live music venues all over the world. That, that really helped me a lot from a hospitality standpoint. So if you think about it, Emiliano, I had a background with music. I had, you know, public education, so the mm -hmm. education side, but now hospitality. I, I decided that at some point after two decades working at Hard Rock, I really wanted a louder voice in the world. I wanted to write a book. Um, I knew that I really couldn't do it if I was going to be there. And all of my team were awesome. We had won all of our awards. Um, I was probably in the way for somebody getting to the next level. And, and I didn't want to just be known in hospitality. I wanted to go vertically. I wanted to start speaking about things that I thought mm -hmm. were important around culture, mm -hmm. service, leadership, 
employee engagement. Like these are things that I had knowledge about and some yeah. experience. And so I just started uh, speaking on the side. I still charged people, but I took all the money in my last few years at Hard Rock and gave it to Hard Rock so that I became a revenue generating department, which training and development never does. We spend money. We don't usually make money. So my boss loved me for that. But what happened is exactly what you would think. I mean, I fell in love with speaking. I was talking with real estate agents and insurance agents and funeral directors and bankers and anything you could think of. If somebody needed a keynote speaker, that's what I was going to do. My first year, I was probably hustling and doing a lot of work on my own. But then by my second year, I was uh, exclusive with the speaker bureau which is great because they do all the work. They do all the hunting for you. And I just get an email that says, here's your firm offer. You need to be here at this location, this topic, here's the money. It was great. And now I have a speaker agent, actually one of the, the best speaker agents in the country. And uh, that's what I do for a living. So out of all the stuff that I get to do in the book marketing world, and I know we'll talk about that, my real day-to-day -day job is now as a keynote speaker, an author, and a podcaster. That's, that's the crux of how I make my living. And now just some of these things that Brant Menzoir, my business partner, and I have done have really just taken this, uh, this other industry by storm. So I, I love it, man. I get a chance to talk about some of the greatest things in front of some pretty big audiences. And it's just allowed me to have a lifestyle that I just absolutely crave and love. The, the more people in the audience, the better for me. So let me know if I'm getting this right. You were working at the Hard Rock Cafe and then uh, you wanted to make your department a uh, revenue generating department. And so you started speaking uh, to generate money. And from there, you started your personal career as a speaker. Was, was it like that? Pretty much the, the one part about hard rock. So when I started, I was a host, I was seating tables, mm. but around a year into the job, I became a trainer. So I got to start doing openings, opening up a new property in some other country. I opened up the hard rock in Mexico city, oh, nice. Madrid, <laughs> uh, in Paris. Um, I got to travel the world and open up these properties as a kid, really as a host. Then after about two years, I became a manager and I was able to run shifts in that restaurant. And again, because it's the busiest restaurant in the world at that time, your skills get really sharp. Your head gets really big. It's a lot of ego. You're hanging out with rock and roll stars. You get to look the way you want to. But eventually I wanted more. And so jumping over to the corporate support center, I'm in central Florida, I'm in Orlando. Mm -hmm. So I went from the restaurant over to the office. And when I got into the office <laughs> after about five years, I was running training and development. So the, the long answer to your question was what I just said. The short answer is I took the music, the education and the hospitality, and I packaged it together because I was already teaching as a trainer. I'm an educator at heart. I was already doing this as a middle school teacher. My mind was, How could I be more influential? How could I have bigger impact and a louder voice in the world? And that's what I wanted to do is just be a speaker. And now what I'm doing now mm -hmm. is what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. Nice. I, I, I like that. 
that perspective of life and you know of knowing what you like and that's what i'm trying to do with 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 this stuff um from from a young age i have yeah. been interested in entrepreneurial stuff so from maybe five years ago i, I thought about oh I, I, one day i want to become an entrepreneur or things like that and finally i am uh, living the dream <laughs> doing it yes yeah yes. i guess um but hey yeah let, then let's talk about how uh You went from, you know, uh, this part of your life, um, from the hospitality and the music and also speaking to only like building a, a career uh, from, from, from speaking. So what you're doing right now on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, so I alluded to it earlier. My, my first uh, real thought was I'm going to just speak for free. I will do it whoever wants me. You want to do it at the local you know, Lions Club, the Rotary Club, something at church, a friend is doing some conference. Do I want to do a small little breakout? It doesn't matter. My answer was yes, because I really wanted to get my, my sea legs, we say. You know, you wanted to get as many repetitions as possible so that you knew exactly what your topic was. You, you had a really good coherent thought about your packaging, your program over time. You learn to get really good photographs, headshots of you. You learn mm -hmm. to take really good video of you, video clips. They're key for, for some client to make a decision. You, you write your, your programs, your topic synopsis, like really, really well. So all of that collateral and all of the practice, just you get better and better and better. And so I used to teach facilitation classes. And I, I definitely did this with the executives at Hard Rock. Every time before a conference, we would gather them together and we'd go over some training to help them prepare because they had to do speeches in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it's the same. The, the more that you practice, I, I can tell you all day long, I could give you a book. You could go to some online course. You will never get better as a speaker unless you actually do it. So my first thought was everything for free, as many as possible. At some point, somebody is going to offer you some money. And so even though it's a little bit of money, you go, okay, I'll go do that for $500 for a speech. And it's small, but eventually you start to get to where you're able to charge a pretty premium price. But at some point, you've also got to figure out, I've sort of exhausted my own network. How can I get people to, to discover me? And so that's where speaker bureaus or speaker agents come into play. So You do start off doing, like I said, a lot of hustling. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you're you're going online, you're looking for conferences, you're doing all of the pitching. Every time you do a speech, it leads to something else. Two or three other gigs come out of it, and that's good. But boy, if you're worth your weight in, in salt, if you have the two things, you can't do just one or the other. Now you have to have both. If you've got great content, like you've got really important something to say, and you can deliver it with excellence, now you've got it. If you can find the, the, the sweet spot to be edutaining, to be fun, exciting, you know, it's entertaining, but also educational. That's why I put the words together, edutaining. edutaining. You've got to uh -huh. go and have somebody who has that ability. And so I've just learned over the years that I can start charging a premium price. Then when I got with the Speaker Bureau, they're doing all of the work on my behalf. I don't have to do any of the work. I still did. Um, but honestly, when, when you, starting, you start doing 75 to 90 engagements a year, it's a great quality of life. So yes, 
the, the short answer is I started doing it when I was at Hard Rock because that at that point, somebody started giving me money, but I didn't want to take the money. I mm-hmm. gave it to the business because I never wanted my boss to go, you know, Jim Knight's over here working on his fun speaking thing, but he's not doing his day-to-day stuff. I wanted to remove all of that. I wanted to stay above reproach. I didn't care about the money. It fed the beast in me. Like I wanted to get out there and have a loud voice. So that was the goal. And it's become a career of a lifetime. You say that like you can give, uh, yeah, 75 to 90 uh, speeches each year, right? Like right now, how, how many are you, are you giving or this year, how many have you given? So it is dramatically dropped because of COVID. Oh, yeah. Uh So so one thing all of our speaker friends will tell you is, you know, really 2019 was a fairly good year for me. Even then it had dropped to about 50, 60 engagements. To go from 90 to 60 is a big drop, but 60 is nothing to to cry about. Mm -hmm. I'm still happy with that. (laughs) When 2020 came, almost every single one of them went away. So they either were eliminated or they converted to virtual, some of the same stuff we're doing right now, or they were just moved an entire year later because everybody was pretty sure that the pandemic would only last a year. Mm. I'm now in September and October, which is the busiest months of the year for me. It always is when people go back to school and all mm. the conferences happen again. In, this, in, in my country, after Labor Day, it becomes very busy for conferences. So I still have conferences from a year ago that I'm just starting to do. And I just had one this week move another whole year because of the Delta variant. So it's going to be like that for a little bit longer, but for sure, 30% went away, 30% became virtual and another 30%, you know, they just, uh, they, they delayed for a year. So it was tough for a year and a half. I got no money, no income for a year and a half. So thankfully, uh, I'm like a squirrel with a nut. I had just sort of stored as much as I could, and and uh, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, so I agree. I'm probably, uh-huh. I'll wind up probably finishing with 20 this year, and then hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get back to normal in 2022. Yeah, hopefully. Um, you know who Alan Stein is? Alan Stein Jr.? Of course. Yeah. Good yeah. friend of mine. Yeah. Great. Yeah, well, well, he was on, on the podcast on, on January this year, and we were talking about this um, this way of working with, with with speaking specifically and online speaking and you know uh, physical speaking and for example uh, people at Stony Robbins have been giving their their conferences in a virtual stage and I think that's like a great way to deal with with this situation. What do you think is like the the future of, of the the industry so besides COVID like with this, shift that happened last year what do you think will happen with the industry will it uh will both worlds merge so will will you be giving like virtual and physical speeches at the same time or what's what's your what's your perspective there yeah it's already happened um and i'll tell you emiliana first off uh alan stein uh is a great friend of mine he's with the same speaker agent that that i'm with michelle joyce she only has 10 speakers and he and i are two of those um, and, and we just, we're, we're big fans of each other. He will tell you the same thing. It's already really merged. I think the future is definitely going to be hybrid. So what you'll probably see, and I'm already seeing this, instead of, let's say, a three-day conference, you're probably going to start seeing shorter conferences, maybe two days. Instead of three keynote speakers, maybe you get one or two 
And then all the other speakers are going to be inside the organization or inside the association. So they'll start spending less money, the event planners, the businesses, they'll spend less money, which is going to be really tough if you're a speaker and you're, you're, you're okay, but you're not great. You're not going to be able to survive because there's now going to be less and less opportunities for speakers. Having said that, um, I think if you can do something virtually, and a lot of companies, you know, as you know, are now working exclusively from home. Like they're they've decided they might not ever come back to like an actual building to to a physical location. Not every business or industry is like that, but a lot of them are. Well, they're still going to have events. They're still going to do educational opportunities for their members, their clients, their consumers. So, listen, if you can do a virtual. And you got to think about lighting and setup and sound quality, like all the things we're doing here. If it looks really good and you've got video clips of that, some client's going to see that and go, I definitely can use that person virtually versus trying to do it in person. But even now, this is the second part to your question. I now go to events where I might be the keynote speaker and I'm on stage but they also have a camera in the back of the room. And so you mm. might have 500 people in the room, but you might have 5,000 that are at home watching because yeah, virtually. They, uh -huh. maybe they're staff members. Maybe they, they would have never spent that money to bring everybody together, or maybe physically they can't get them together. But now with the whole virtual world and everybody is sort of, we've all, we've all upped our game. We've all amped up the ability now through Zoom, like what we're doing now, People are a little bit more knowledgeable. So they're not scared of doing this right here. If anything, I will probably be reaching bigger audiences. It's not as much fun doing it virtual. Alan will tell you that. You're talking <laughs> to a microphone. There's no cheers. Nobody's laughing at the jokes. You're doing your song and dance to an open mic and hoping like people are loving it. But um, if I could do it both, you're on stage and somebody's videotaping, I don't have to worry about it. And so you get the best of both worlds. But I, I don't think it's the future. I think it's the here and now. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and why is it so that um, like company the companies will start to invest less money on hiring more spe speakers? Um, if if they can, you know, uh, spend less money with with these virtual things, why why will they, you know, hire hi yeah hire uh, less le less speakers? They, they, they will hire less speakers. And that's what I'm saying. I think if you are very good at what you do, it's not going to be a problem for you. You know, rock stars can always get another gig. The ones that are just sort of limping along, they're slackers. They've sort of gotten by with a title or their content alone, but they're not very entertaining or vice versa. Because you can't be a speaker that just talks, talks, talks. And then there's no meatiness. If nobody gets anything out of the time they spent with you, it's a waste of time. So I personally believe that event planners and businesses will be spending less money on what they can spend with speakers. It doesn't mean they'll spend less money on the speaker. I'm hoping they still give us the money that, mm -hmm. that you know we charge. But I think you'll, instead of seeing three or four speakers, you might see two. And then they'll do it for free with all the people inside their company. So I, I do believe if you're a really good speaker, you got no worries because you're still there are still plenty of, of conferences and events where people need somebody to be in front of them to inspire them and motivate them. With, with, with your experience, what has 
uh, it's taken for you to be successful as a speaker. You know, besides uh, these things have been entertaining, but also educational, what are some like technical things that you have used for, for your success? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I will go back probably to an earlier answer. It is about practice. So, you know, if my background was I wanted to be on stage, I wanted to be a performer, I went to get my music degree, you know, drama, I've, I've been in a bunch of community theater. So just being a normal performer for me is something that I chose to do. That's number one. Number two, I know that speaking in front of other people is the number one fear of all humans on this planet. <laughs> More than fear of heights or fear of bugs or snakes or death or anything. More than anything else, being in front of somebody and talking is scary to people. So the fact that I actually crave it and love it is a first step because I don't have a I didn't have a lot of hurdles to overcome. Number one. Number two, because of my experience with my music performance background, being in front of students as a teacher for six years, and then 21 years of teaching training classes at Hard Rock, finding, weaving, practice, practice, practice every time I did it. Then I'm teaching managers to do this. Then I'm teaching a facilitation class on how to do this. So every day, I just, I, I felt like I got better and better to the extent that You know, for me, I just wanted to get to a point that I would be one of the best speakers that somebody would, would ever see. That's in my mindset. I have to believe that when I'm done with the audience, that I can drop the mic and walk oh. away and feel really <laughs> good in my heart that I just, I rock their face off. That's what I have to believe. And so when you think like that, that positive mentality, it just seems to, to produce some really good results. So, you know, it is a little bit of a, a mindset. It is practice. But then there's a whole bunch of small little things. It's thinking about, are you just going to storytell or are you going to use a flip chart? Are you going to use PowerPoint? Are you wanting to use a video where maybe you can have told a story instead? For me, I have to use music in my sessions as well because I'm pulling up the levers of rock and roll. So I want to be dunked in the spirit of music. Mm. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. But I think about fonts. I think about color palette. I think about my logos. I think about all the collateral that I create. I think what would happen if I've got somebody that's challenging me from the audience, if I've got a heckler. I think about phrasing. I think about tonality. Is it time for me to get loud and ramp up? Or is it time to be quiet and subtle and cool? Like all of that stuff matters. So I'm constantly thinking, what could I do right now in this moment to absolutely rock their world? But It's an art form. Like there's a lot of work that goes into it. And people that just think they could go up there and just speak, speak, speak. It's not easy. I've seen a lot of people just, they, they, they cave. They absolutely crash and burn because they just didn't prepare. And practice is probably the biggest thing you could ever do. Talking about like how you deliver your message. I think that Brand for his book for Black Sheep actually, well, for the audio book of Black Sheep actually added music in in the background right i i i couldn't listen to the audiobook but i i think that he he did something like that he did he he made it it was basically an audio soundtrack it is an entire um experience to listen to it and he's got some of his own music in there it felt very cool in listening to it i mean the general rule is for audiobooks 
you don't want to compete with music. You want the voice to be front and center. So he's, Brant is already irreverent and unpredictable. He's going to do his own thing. (laughs) And so when you want to use it, for instance, in Amazon, Amazon has very specific rules for their audiobook, And he probably won't be able to have it there in that format on Amazon because he bucked the system and did it his own self. But I think for him, he did not want to just go out there and do a boring read of a book, even though he's got a great voice, even though the storytelling and the the book itself is fantastic. I think he wanted to create an experience uh, for people that are just audiobook lovers. So uh, I, I love the product. I think his stuff is fantastic. I just finished recording mine from my book and that's pretty straightforward. I just, I know the only way I could get to the masses is I need to be on audible. I need to be on the Amazon. Um, my, my first book, so so this is my first book. I'll talk about this in a moment. It's Culture That Rocks. Mm-hmm. Instead of creating at that time, so I'm going all the way back to 2012, for the most part, people were doing either audio CDs, like, you know, round CDs, yeah. dip, <laughs> or they were doing uh, Audible. And so what I created, let me see if you can see it here, is I created a little USB key uh-huh. that is, you know, it's a USB so it plugs into the computer or in the car. It's shaped like a rock and roll hand. That's sort of my my uh, you know my branding. Um, and and so when you buy the book, even though I I can sell it on Amazon, I'm the one who's actually fulfilling it. So you actually get this little USB in the mail, and you can use it however you want to. You could burn it to a CD or listen to it in your car or whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I'm not sure that uh, I, I wanted to keep doing that this time because my new book now, I wanted to make sure that I could put it out there in Amazon. Boom, look, we've got dueling books. Now, and you were there at my uh, my book launch, man. I really appreciate you for for, for coming on and, and sort of celebrating with uh, with me at that point. But that's that the audio book, it's an interesting thing. What we're starting to find out, just as a final thought here, uh, even in our book marketing company, we're finding out that less and less people are starting to listen to audiobooks. And now you're seeing a resurgence of more of the physical books. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that's great for us. But if you're an audiobook listener, I think you're going to see, you know, not not necessarily fewer books, but there's a less focus on getting it out right away. Like me, my book launched in May and I'm just now getting, a re- you know, my recording all finalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I personally I personally don't love audiobooks, but I listened to Matthew McConaughey's book. Well, I read it while I was listening to it, and for example, with Matthew McConaughey's with Matthew McConaughey's voice, it was like an awesome experience, and it was very enjoyable. It was fun. Yes. Um, but yeah, like creating these experiences is something that makes like reading books more interesting, and that's what I want to talk about. Uh, you know, regarding the book industry. But before getting into that, I would like to, um, you know, get back to your career. So once you um, started uh, to to speak like professionally and to charge, uh, what happened next? When did you, you um, met Brand? Uh, when, uh, oh yeah, which companies did you uh, found? And yeah, how, what happened after that? Well, um, so my last... I would say five or six years at Hard Rock. Um, like I said, I was doing it on the side. I was probably doing nine to 10 speaking engagements. So a little bit less than one a month while doing my regular job. 
And people started to discover me in all different types of industries, um, you know, things you would not even think about. And if I say the word like the International Packaged Ice Association, you know, when you go to this you know, convenience store and you get bags of ice, mm -hmm. there are different companies that do that and they get together in a conference every year. There's an association for stuff like that. So they're always looking for speakers. So every time I do one of these, I wind up doing more and more engagements. Um, I left Hard Rock in 2012. And as I said, that first year, 2013, I was doing a lot of the work on my own. But then once I got onto Speaker Bureau's websites, so I just, I literally put my name out there. I gave them all my collateral. I was on about six, maybe seven different Speaker Bureau websites. So what happens is people will call up the Speaker Bureau and they'll say, who do you have? Who's your mm -hmm. new shiny toy? Um, <laughs> anybody interesting? Is there anybody lower than $5,000? Who talks about culture or service or whatever? And so they funnel it down and the speaker bureaus will usually pitch two or three names to the client. And, uh, you know, with, with my hair, you know, and my background, <laughs> sometimes I was lucky enough to get the first look. And if somebody went and looked at my videos and saw the background and, and maybe knew that I had a book that just came out, that would help solidify the deal. Um, I met Brant along the way because he and I had a mutual friend. There was a, another group that he's a part of called Banding People Together. They are a group of performance behavioralists. What they do is they, they go into organizations and teach people how to have a great culture from a communication and a collaboration standpoint because all of the people in that organization are actual musicians. They're rock stars. Mm. They're on the road with, with professional musicians but whenever there's a conference that comes up and somebody wants to hire banding people together, the, the person who owns it, his name is Alan Schaefer, he picks who makes the most sense for that organization. They go in and teach people how to write a song. They write an original song and they make a lot of band and brand analogies about collaboration and conflict and how you how do you really have to focus on your team members and how the leader has to be aligned with the rest of the company like there's a lot of again a lot of cool music stuff that comes mm -hmm. with with business and so i knew alan brant was the number two guy he was he was basically the number two guy at banding people together i had an event uh where i was the keynote speaker in the morning and the, the client didn't know what they were going to do in the afternoon. They wanted to do some type of team building. And I said, let me bring in my, my friends, banding people together. So I'm doing culture. They were doing communication and collaboration. We're all musicians. So the whole day was fun edutainment. And then at night, they got a free rock concert. We wound up <laughs> doing a whole bunch of musicians and singer songwriters, you know, in the round. It was amazing. And so We've now done that like four or five times. And uh, anytime that I can find out that a client wants to do more than just me being a speaker, I try and get my buddies to come in because it's fun for me. Like being on the road, you know, and Alan will tell you this, Al, not Alan Schaefer, but Alan Stein. Alan Stein yeah. You, uh -huh. it, it gets lonely at times because we we live in hotel rooms, you know, a third of the year. You're on stage and, and when the event's done, you're eating dinner by yourself. You know, it's kind of... It's that when you can go on the road with one of your friends, oh my God, it's just so much fun. Yeah, so it gets fun. <laughs> Grant and I just became really good friends. Um, we've had a couple businesses. We actually still have four companies right now together 
Uh, we have a training program called Certified Rockstar. Uh, we have a podcast that we run called Thoughts That Rock, where we have a pretty influential guest on there to give us the best piece of advice they've ever been given. And, uh, and we do that in about 30 minutes. Um, we definitely have Bookstar PR, which we can talk about. And then our new venture called Bookie Call, which will be the world's first book dating app. Um, so those four things, and even before that, he and I were always looking for an excuse to do some things together. So it's just fun when you've got one of your best friends to go on the road and he's also a musician and, uh, we, you know, we're, we're very different in a lot of ways. And, 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 you know, we also seem to resonate with each other no matter what it is, we might go and, and, you know, butt heads every once in a while, but for the most part, we're laughing our butts off all day long. And it's just cool. Cause we're getting paid to do it, which is, yeah, blows my yeah, mind. Yeah, that's great. I would like to get into actually the, the four, uh, companies. So, um, and yeah, I would like to start with the podcast. How did that uh, come to be? So, uh, yeah, great, great question. So, uh, Brant and I went to Washington, DC, Um, and the reason we went up there is because I was at that time with the speaker bureau called Kepler Speakers. And I had convinced them to, to bring Brandt and take a look at him to see if maybe it would make sense for him to come on board to their roster. So he and I, I, I walked him into Kepler Speakers at DC. And uh, while we were up there, we had some great meetings, but it was snowing so bad that our flight kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And at the end of the day, all the executives left. And, and Brant and I were the only ones that were in the office, except for, I think, the security guard. Um, mm. <laughs> and they just told us, when we leave, lock up the door, and that's it. And so we were the very last ones in their offices. But eventually, we had to get to the airport because we didn't, we weren't staying anywhere. We didn't know what was going to happen with our flights. It actually got canceled. And uh, we wound up being in the airport. And it, believe me, Emiliano, it had been a long time since I slept in the airport. <laughs> and it was packed. All the, all the seats and tables were taken. So we, we didn't want to sleep on the floor. So we said, why don't we stay awake? Let's play through the night and let's do what we want to do. We both had a book out at that time. We wanted to write a book together called Thoughts That Rock. And the idea was, let's have a different thought for every day of the year. Let's get 365 cool thoughts that rock, inspirational things that Brant or I would say on stage. You know, Brantism, a Jim Knightism. What would be these cool little takeaways? So we worked through the night. We came up with about 160 of those. And then we ran out. We were done. Mm -hmm. And then we had to catch our flight. And we said, we'll finish the rest of them. And whatever we don't finish, we'll go and get some from rock stars. Like we'll fill it up with other really influential, important people. We came back home and uh, we decided to revisit it. And let's see if we can't finish the book. And we were standing in my driveway and Brant said, why don't we just do it in a different platform. Let's do it as a podcast instead of a book because we'll reach a bigger audience. We can have guests come on. They basically over time will create all the thoughts at rock. And mm -hmm. we still may create a book because we've got, we've got two and a half years underneath our belt now where we could actually create, you know, something from everybody else's great pieces of advice in life. And, and by the way, that's the only thing we do. We ask them really two questions. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given And how did it change your life? That's it. And, and we let it sort of take its path. And sometimes we get into some hilarity. We get into some great storytelling. We usually have a corresponding thought. Like we think through what theirs is. Then we come up with one. So you really are getting two pieces of advice. And for our fans, our listeners, 
in 30, maybe 40 minutes, you're getting two pieces of advice weekly and it's free. Like that's been really, really good for us. And we've been consistently in the top 200 of all podcasts in our category. So we've been very, very lucky and uh, we're on hiatus right now. We're not coming back probably till near the end of the year, Uh, but we love doing it. I can't wait for the next season to start. Let me ask you those questions. What is, what has been the greatest piece of advice that you have uh, received? Oh, and man. yeah, how how has it changed yeah. your life? You're putting me on the spot. I'm trying to think where some of the, the good ones would be. <laughs> um, you know, we, ha- we had some, uh, geez, what would be some really good? So uh, the famous Soledad O'Brien, you might know her. She's a big journalist, uh, was at CNN. She's very, very well known. She, uh, she had a piece of advice that had to deal with obstacles when they get in your way. You know, I don't know the exact words that she used, but she said, listen, even if something happens in your life and it's a huge problem, it's a huge issue for 24 hours, you can cry about it. You can get upset. You can yell, you can do whatever you need to do for 24 hours. And then after that, on the 25th hour, you got to put it behind you and get back on track. So she said, it's okay to have these emotions and get frustrated. (laughs) But on the second day, it's time to get back on the horse. You know, that type of stuff. And it's really easy because you would think people would say, geez, you know, you really need to hire great people or you need to have a positive mindset. Like when we hear boring stuff like that, I know the episode isn't going to be that enlightening to our fans. They're looking Mm -hmm. for something a little bit more unique. I'm trying to think of some of the others. We've had some pretty big name stars on there before. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll, I'll, I might have to throw you some, and you'll have to put them in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But but I mean, I, I I like that one, and that's sort of what I have been trying to do many times when I get upset or angry or sad or whatever. Just you know, deal with the emotion and then uh, keep on going. But it's it's tough, obviously, many many times. Um, yeah, You got oh. me on that one. That one's a hard one. I'm trying to think out of all the guests, but I, you know, for sure, I'm going to have to do some homework. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you remember uh, of one in the next minutes, just uh, feel free to f- feel free to share it. Um, but, but yep. Okay. No, no, no. I will. I will. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, then I would like to talk about Bookstar. Uh, so you have published two books, as you as you mentioned. Um, and then you created, I think it was last year, uh, Bookstar, right? Bookstar PR. Um, yeah. yeah. How how did it happen and, and why uh, specifically? Yeah. So we started Bookstar PR at the beginning of the year. Um, we, we probably started thinking about it over the holidays. Um, you know, Brant and I were just getting together trying to think, what do we want to do? We always do an end of the year wrap up personally with each other. And uh, what do we want to do with our businesses? And You know, he had just come out of this issue. His book had come out in September and he had a really big issue with the, the marketing and the public relations of his book. Our publisher, we have the same publisher called Page Two Books. They're out of Canada. They're phenomenal. They are awesome. But at the time, what they usually do, they're a hybrid publisher. What they would normally do is say, listen, if you need some marketing help, if you want to push your book out there, there are some companies that we can turn you on to. And they they gave Brandt, you know, a, a very well-known PR company that was very expensive, who didn't do a very good job for him. And he got so frustrated that about a third of the way through, he basically fired them and said, I'm going to take control of my own marketing and public relations. What are some things that I could do? 
So that's the first thing he did. And so he started reaching out to, as you know, the Bookstagram community, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people, particularly in the U.S., don't know that that um, industry yet. They don't realize the power of social media and the power of whether it's in TikTok, there are book talkers now, or in the Instagram community as, as bookstagrammers, that you can take advantage that there are people that are reading books and doing reviews for books for a living. So he he knew that. That's probably, I think, initially how he interacted with you. This was before Bookstar PR mm-hmm. knew about some of the work that you were doing. And based off of the number of followers, based off of the engagement scores, based off of the creative, you know, the creativity of some of these posts are amazing. Whether it's the way that they're using the book or dressing up in an outfit for the book, or perhaps the photo that they take of the book out in the wild, like that stuff has legs and it winds up getting out there to to a lot of people. So he was telling me about this and here I am hoping to launch my book in May with the same publisher thinking, well, I don't want that PR company that he just Mm -hmm. struggled with. Is there a way that we could become the low cost provider? Could we charge a lot less price, maybe maybe 60%, 70% lower than what everybody else is doing? That would be number one. And instead of it just throwing spaghetti at the wall, just doing everything and, and, and really nothing, and you don't get any results, could we guarantee deliverables? And so we built a business. We said, we're going to help authors out that are either self-published, maybe they're a hybrid publisher, or maybe they were with a a traditional publisher. And for whatever reason, they just didn't get their fair shake. They didn't get great marketing. Maybe they released the book during the pandemic and they're just, people were worried about, you know, staying alive and keeping their job and, and teaching school from home and all that came with that. For whatever reason, we wanted to help authors out and do it in a very inexpensive way and give them guaranteed deliverables. If we couldn't guarantee the result that we were going to get, then we weren't going to do it. And so we did a, we had a flip chart at my house and in about three hours, we built a company and said, this is what we're going to do. And so there's been some changes along the way. We've had a few issues from time to time, depending on the platform. Amazon does what Amazon wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there, there have been a, a few changes in our business model. But for the most part, we've always stuck to that mantra. And we've helped out a lot of authors so far in not spending a lot of money, but really getting fair value of the deliverables. And it might be some in podcasts. We create some videos for people. Uh, we do some very good uh, global um, reviews for them. So we, we do a, um, you know, a press release for them that goes out to hundreds of media outlets. But honestly, Emiliana, the number one is in that Instagram community. The bookstagrammers are the ones that are really taking the ball and running with us. So we're so thrilled to partner with people who actually care. I mean, some of them are doing it, I'm sure, just to have a living and make a little bit of money on the side. But the majority of them are just flat out book lovers and they're looking to help out other people. And so they'd be doing it anyway. We do have people that they don't want any money. They just love the free book and they create their own library from all the books that we send them from all of these authors that they wouldn't have known about anyway. So Bookstar PR has been a really great business for Brand and I. It's been making really good money, but it's really because of the fact that we just didn't want other authors who don't have a lot of money to go what go through what he went through. So it'll be the the one business that we built out of spite 
we're, we're, we're really against all the big PR marketing companies that charge an arm and a leg, but they don't guarantee anything. Those days are done. You know, in in the Instagram bio of the Reader Lounge, uh, I've got a sentence that says like, uh, I, I, I don't remember the exact sentence, to be honest, but it says something like revolutionizing the experience of reading. Um, right. and, and that came to my mind <clears throat> after reflecting about how the book industry works and how traditional publishers and, uh, you know, big authors and people in general are interacting with books. And specifically, uh, like the idea or this idea of revolution, revolutionizing the experience of reading came after reflecting on, on my experience with, with reading because, uh, like in, When I was younger in school, I didn't I didn't like reading. But then when I changed uh, schools, I read Elon Musk's biography, and then that changed oh, it boy. all for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and then I built uh, the Reader Lounge, and then I partnered with you. And I agree with this idea of uh, changing how stuff works because I mean, books are really powerful. If it wasn't for books, I wouldn't be like doing this podcast. I wouldn't be here talking with you, and I wouldn't be like doing um, many of the things that I that I currently do. Um, and yeah, again, I thank you for for creating books PR and for uh, partnering with me at, at the reader lounge. Well, we've, we've had a great relationship and, uh, I know we had a zoom call a week ago, um, talking about, uh, another venture we were doing, but while we were there, you know, I know we had 25 people on the call, but I singled out three people, you in particular were one of them saying, I remember that yeah. our relationship is just so good because I don't know if you've ever turned down any of the books that we've sent, but not only have you read them, your reviews are so good you're extremely innovative and creative in the post and in the pictures that you use. And I think the authors, you know, not only do they love that, they love commenting and have a relationship. You probably mm -hmm. have great relationships with authors. And, and so we, we're always looking for a home to place them. And, and you're one of the go-to people because we can rely on you and your stuff is so good, man. We love it. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, actually I, I have turned on uh, some books Um, mostly because I haven't, again, been defining more my brand and the message that I want to share. And I am just trying to like accept either yeah business, personal development or spirituality uh, books. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I try to actually deliver real value with, with the books I, I work with and not just share yeah. a book recommendation for For, for the sake of sharing a book recommendation. See, and, and that's why, that's why you are the way you are, because, you know, again, I think some people just take anything. And actually that's also why we decided to only do nonfiction books. You know, we, th there's more fiction Instagram influencers than there are nonfiction. If we wanted to play in that space, we would make so much more money and we'd open up the floodgates, but we know we write nonfiction. I speak for businesses. I, I, we're not writing about unicorns and hobbits and dragons and Harry <laughs> Potter. Like there's, there's tons of great, great fiction books out there, but we, we said, let, listen, let's just be really good in this space. And I applaud you for doing the same thing saying, I'm just going to focus on this. Even if it's a memoir, if it doesn't really fit into those three categories you just mentioned, I'm glad that you're sticking to your guns. I mean, branding is, it, it, that's also a part of it, right? Yeah, it is. I, I want to ask like a follow-up question to this. Um, so for example, my favorite book is The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. That is a fiction book, um, technically, but yeah. it shares nonfiction stuff. 
What would you do if an author uh, came to you with a great book, but it was a non-fiction book written, written in a in a fiction uh, way? What 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 would you what would you do then? So I I think I would bring it back to the team and we'd talk about it before we said yes. Um, in general, if it really was a business book that maybe is told through a fable, a story, an analogy, um, you know, some of my favorite books. Uh, like Radical Leap, I mean, or, or Raving Fans. These are business books, but they're all told through a make-believe, made-up story with a character. But you see the point um, for it being a, helping out an organization or an individual in their own personal leadership. In those cases, I would say yes, because my mind has to go to how are the influencers going to be able to pitch and use this? How are the podcasters that we're pitching able to have an interview with this? Are they going to talk about the fake characters or are they talk about how this book can be used to help out other people in business? So we, we've just sort of steered away from pure fiction and we actually have some good strategic partners. We, we will just send them to somebody else for free. We don't make any money. Mm. We will refer them to other marketing companies that deal with fiction. But if it was like how you're mentioning it, if it's really told in a charming, interesting storytelling, uh, you know, analogy, but it still is about business or learning about yourself to get better. I, I think we would take that on. How do you usually uh, reach out to these authors and how do you uh, get clients? How, how do you interact with authors to then uh, integrate them into your ecosystem? Great question. We have never done any advertising or marketing at all. Every single one of them have come to us. So, You know, Brand and I know a lot of speakers, and I would say a big chunk of those speakers are authors, and they either have a book that already came out, or they're just now getting to the point that they want to write a second or a third book. Mm -hmm. Because we already had those relationships in that world, in that space, and we're authors, we sort of knew enough people that already needed help. So when we started the company, I think we came out of the gate with seven or eight speak, you know, authors right out of the gate. But then right after that, they had a good experience and they would just go and have a friend of theirs that was writing a book and, and they would come to us. We've never, we've never sought or done any advertising, nothing on Facebook. We've never done any hunting for anybody. Somebody just gives us a call. Maybe they found our website and said, hey, listen, you guys were recommended by so-and-so or your publishing company or whatever. Would you guys take me on or let's talk through how this works? So we've been very lucky. And, and again, I think that just goes to prove, like I talk about from the stage anyway, if you just completely blow people away from an experiential standpoint, they'll find you. The, the, the consumer, the guest, the customer, the author, they'll find us. They'll, they'll get to us. Yeah, if your product is good enough, then the people will, will come. And so it's word of mouth, basically. Um, all, yeah, all 100% so far. Great. And then you are developing, well, you have already developed and you're about to launch this new app. Uh, you're revolutionizing uh, the way in which books are recommended. And I would like you to talk about how, how that idea of Bookie Call uh, came to be. And yeah, what's, what is the plan for it? So again, this is another discussion that Brant and I had. Um, you know, we were sitting around thinking, What else could we do as part of Bookstar PR? Could we create our own podcast? And if we're going to do our own podcast, it needs to be different than Thoughts That Rock. Let's don't talk about leadership advice. Let's again help out authors. Let's help out the book industry. 
And so uh, it had a different name at that time, but we had come up with something creative. When we got attorneys involved, we found out that it was already taken for something else. And so we couldn't use it. But this idea of doing a podcast just became bigger and bigger and bigger because what we wanted to do is put a, a, a white hot spotlight on the book, not on the author, but on the book. Could we make books famous? Could we bring books to life by doing a podcast, by interviewing the book? Can mm-hmm. we ask the book some questions and give it a personality? There were some challenges with that, but what it became is a much bigger you know, platform. It basically became a, a book discovery platform because our idea was what's a big challenge? And we learned this from Shark Tank, right? They talk <laughs> about this all the time. What, what is a big challenge that people have that we could maybe fix, that we could do it in a very innovative way? And part of it is, I think people all the time, number one, go, what book do I want to read next? And, and so where do you go? Do you go to Amazon and you just start looking on there? Do you put it out on Facebook and people recommend? Do you ask your best friend, your buddy, and they give you sort of an idea? But it's it's not, there's no real easy, great way to discover books without you just falling upon it. So that led us to think, could we do like the Netflix model? Could we, whenever you watch a show, whenever you watch anything at all, you wind up getting recommendations. If you like this, then you're going to like this. Could we create a product that would have some artificial intelligence, some AI technology that that an algorithm could be created? So now it's bigger than a podcast. We go, okay, can we can we help people discover their books? And could we help authors get their books discovered? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's hundreds of millions of books on Amazon. We decided to create a curated library of only about 5,000. That's all. We're only going to have about 5,000 books in our library at any given time. And after a certain period of time, those will archive out and a new 5,000 will come in. But could we bring something special and spectacular to create a, a personality for the book so enticing that somebody would absolutely want to go and buy it and check it out? So we were really using both. Could we help out the author? We, could we help out the average consumer, which we've also learned now? The av- Well, I don't have global numbers, but the average American buys 12 books a year. The average American buys one a month, which blew my mind because I know people that don't read hardly at all. Yeah. <laughs> people like yourself, where you're reading a book a week. And so when you factor it out, if the average person in this country are buying 12 books a year, could we sort of tap into that. Could we create a curated library to help out the authors where they have a much better chance? They have over a thousand percent chance of getting their book discovered on our app than they could with Amazon. So we started to create this mentality of, okay, we're going to create an app. It'll have AI technology. It's going to be about the book. We'll still create a little bit of a podcast. There's still an audio component where the character that we created, his name is Boo. Boo is actually interviewing the book. And here's the catch. The reason I called it the world's first book dating podcast or platform is because we took all the psychology, all the numbers that we know from 40 million people that have already been on online dating profiles like eHarmony and Match and Tinder and Grinder, all of these that people go on to meet a mate, could we create something like that in an app, a dating app, but for books 
that we would pair you up based off of how you fill out a profile. You say you like fiction, nonfiction. Do you like romance? Do you like historical? Do you want business, self-development? Whatever it is, that, that technology gets smarter. And we know we're going to recommend books to you that you're absolutely going to like. And so when you read the questions that we're asking, the nine questions, which are the same nine questions that are asked on online dating profiles, there is a lot of edutainment there. So we ask questions like, uh, who would swipe right on you? What, what are the most attractive traits about <laughs> you? What, what is uh, your greatest fear? Well, uh, what, if somebody were to voice your audio book, who would that be? Tell me about your book daddy or your book mama talking about the author. You know, it's like the, what, what, what drink or food would pair well with you? So imagine the book coming to life and, and you getting so involved in that, that you have to check it out. You know, you, you're going to go and, and hopefully read about it, maybe by the, the audio or the print or, or the, uh, the digital, the ebook version. But here's the other thing. The name of the app is Buki Call. So we did that on purpose because of the book and our character Boo, but Buki Call. Mm. But two times a week, you're going to get a uh, you're going to get a notification, a push notification on your phone when you sign up that basically it'll say you up and you're basically <laughs> going to get offers two to three different book options based off of what you've selected as the things that you would like. And at some point we'll wind up doing flash sales. You might get it for 50% off if you act on the bookie call within the next hour. But for now, you just it, it'll be a fun app. People will be able to discover the book that they like. Nobody's ever done anything like that. It launches on September 30th. Um, as you know, we have an entire campaign. We've got a global press release and a yeah. ton of people that are going to dress up like Boo. Boo has a derby hat <laughs> and a monocle and a mustache. And so we've sent out all these influencer uh, gifts and uh, you've got one in the mail that's going to be on its way pretty soon. So September 30th is going to be a, a fun day for us. I don't know when the podcast will launch this episode. It might have been after the fact. Um, but yeah, Bookie Call, you got to go check that app out. It will probably be on the launch week. This podcast will probably launch on the on the on the launch week. That's perfect. That's great. Yeah, but that week of the launch, I love it. Yeah, and I will be dressing. Uh, uh, I will be dressing as Boo too, probably. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah we got a little T-shirt for you too. I mean, our mantra right now is uh, "People suck. Date a book." <laughs> So, you know, people struggle with meeting other individuals, but uh, we can definitely fall madly in love with the book. And so that's book. what our app's going to do. Yeah, but but no, for real, it's a, it's a great idea. And it's a perfect way like to actually find the book that is made for you, that an app that is made for that is telling you, um, yeah, yeah, that app is telling you that that book is for you. And that, that is a great way for real to, to get new, to we get new so. book recommendations. Yeah. We and so. yeah. yeah, what do you, so this is how you are revolutionizing the industry. Yeah. What do you think are other parts of the, of the future of the book industry? Maybe speaking about publishing or maybe about the marketing part, or may, maybe as a reader, what, what, are, what do you think is going to change in the future for, for this industry? Yes. Yeah, you mean for books or for book marketing? For, for books, but also for, for book marketing. Yeah, I'm not sure about books. I know you were saying something earlier. There's technology now. I think a lot of people are starting to get both 
an audio version, especially if they get it for free, if they're getting audible for free on Amazon, but they'll purchase the physical book. And so like yourself, you might be reading the book while you're listening to it. That is now a phenomenon that is starting to happen mm. with a lot of people. Um, I do think, as I mentioned before, we're starting to see a little bit of a decline in both digital books, eBooks, and also audiobooks. but there's a huge increase in physical books. And that may have been from maybe the pandemic because, you know, people used to really listen to podcasts, listen to audiobooks while they were driving or mm -hmm. working out or exercising or whatever. Well, when you're working from home and you're taking care of the kids and having to teach from school and doing all that stuff, the, the times of trying to do two things at once, listening or doing the digital is probably tough. So I think there's a resurgence on these physical books. So I think you're going to see that increase. I think there's going to be more print on demand. So there, you know, where traditional marketing, uh, sorry, traditional publishing, publishing. Uh -huh. struggles is like my first book, you know, when, when I first came out with Culture That Rocks, to get the price down, I had to produce 10,000 of these. So luckily I sold through that, but then you had to make a choice. I, if I do another 10,000, that's all money out of pocket. And, and I sold through another 5,000. I have 5,000 books though, sitting on some warehouse pallets that, you know, I might sell a book a day, but it's not going to move through those pallets anytime soon. Mm -hmm. My my second book, which we talked about, Leadership the Leadership Rocks, it's thin, it's black and white, it's print on demand. So if you order any of these from any online platform, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, Amazon, wherever, it's printed at that moment and you get the latest and greatest copy. So I have no inventory sitting around. Because the price has really come down, I do think you're going to see more and more authors move to print on demand versus having a, a, their garage full of a bunch of books that might take them a long time to move through. So those are the two things I see in the book industry. For book marketing, I think you're going to see people play in two spaces. In addition to Instagram, um, I said this earlier, but TikTok is huge. And there's there's an entire group of people out there. They call themselves book talkers. They <laughs> review books on video and they're not doing like singing and dancing. They're just doing a review, but they're on TikTok. And some of them have half a million followers. So if I was an author now trying to market a book, I would not only be going to Instagram, I'd be going to spend a little bit of money to find some of these book talkers and hopefully get them to read the book and share about it to all of their audience. I also think that even though Clubhouse was really, really big, if you're familiar with that, that the, the audio yep. platform, um, a lot of people were on that during the pandemic. It's still very viable and a lot of people play in different rooms. I think you're going to see a lot of marketing and PR for books and authors in Clubhouse as well. So I, I think social media in general, I would probably say whatever is next, whatever comes after TikTok and Clubhouse, <laughs> there'll be something else. And whoever's first to the market to help spread the love for authors, I think they're going to have a, a, a pretty, pretty good uh, product there. I think they'll have a lot of good uh, desired results. Yeah, in in my case with the reader launch, I do have TikTok for 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 the brand. Um, but honestly, I just post videos whenever I feel like it, or yeah, yeah whenever it's fun to to record something. It's not like on on Instagram where I really try to be sort of consistent, yeah. and yeah, post uh, at least once a week. Um, but yeah, uh, these these platforms are are great way for us creators like to 
to yeah. to start a business and for authors to to reach more people. And it's, de it's definitely a little bit more work, but if you think about it, Emiliano, I don't know. Do you also put stuff on YouTube? I used to do, but yeah, it's a lot of editing and I don't do anymore. So that's the thing. If you can make it easy, instead of having to deal with all the editing, I mean, it's hard enough probably to be in your one lane uh, of Instagram, but if you're already doing uh, reels, if you're already doing stories, if you're playing a little bit on Facebook, there's actually a big resurgence right now in LinkedIn of book reviews as well. For TikTok, if you're shooting a video, if you're already doing, let's say a book reveal, The book reveal alone, just whatever video you were going to do and put it on Instagram, if you put it on TikTok and as that growing, you know, that that following follower base gets bigger and bigger as it grows, you will wind up having more influence in that space right now because it's just the hot thing to do. And everybody, all the kids want to be on there mm -hmm. now. I don't know how much in the nonfiction book world will will continue to stay there, but it's it's a huge deal right now. So if you could do it where There wasn't a lot of work, a lot of editing, and it, you're just putting it on one more platform. It might be worth considering, but I think people are just too afraid. They they still think of TikTok as videos and being goofy and <laughs> having to do a bunch of quick edits. And it's not that when it comes into this world. It's about the value, sure. And with TikTok, actually, I would say that it's, how, how did you call it? Uh, and, edu, no, no, but edu training or how was it? Yeah, it's it's entertainment and education together. Edutainment. Edutainment. Yeah, yeah. With TikTok, I think that it's like actually edutainment because I mean, I mean, when I watch TikTok, if a video is funny, then I keep watching it, and if I also learn, then it's something cool. Um, but yeah. if, if, if I just learn or if I just um, you know uh, enjoy the video, then um, I don't get as much value as right. as I as I would with edu. Entertainment. Yes. <laughs> um, you have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and getting back to the to the book industry. So, uh, and this is something I want to share with you, and also uh, I want to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I I think of like the experience of reading um, as something that could be revolutionized in the in the book industry. Uh, Because right now it's like just uh, people publish a book, then people read it, and that's it. Yeah. But then, for example, I take uh, the example of a company as Starbucks, and Starbucks did not like revolutionize the. They didn't revolutionize coffee. They yeah. revolutionized the experience around oh, coffee, experience. and yeah. I think that that's sort of what will happen and what is happening with 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 books in general. So in your case, for example, you created this app and now readers can get to uh, know new books and authors can get to reach more people. And this is how we are revolutionizing the experience and not th the product itself. We are not just creating a new Kindle. We are creating uh, a new experience, a new way of, of living this. What's exactly. your, what are, what are your, your thoughts on that? I Or couldn't agree more. And you know, when you, so, I was a big fan of a book that came out, I think in 1998 called The Experience Economy. And it is still on the top 100 of all business books. And so I've become friends with the two authors there, Jim Gilmore and Joe Pine, The Experience Economy. And they talk about this, the, the staging and everything that you do from a branding standpoint is always, always, always more important than the product. The product, the atmosphere, 
all of that stuff is moot. It, it's good if you're first, first to the market, and it has to be quality. But now people expect that. Like that's the price of admission. What, what puts you into the end zone? What gives you the encore? What gets people to come back is you got to bring the thunder when it comes to the experience. And so anytime you can take whatever it is and make it so that it doesn't matter the platform, I could actually move from one platform to another. Like Kindle, you could talk about Kindle if you want to. You might want to talk about Nook with Barnes and Noble. You might want to talk about you know an iPad, whatever it is. It regardless of the platform, you think about the experience. And so mm-hmm. people that can go and create that and maintain it, and in some cases, the experience was maybe bad, and we want to revolutionize it. I'll give you a good example. There, you know, not just Amazon. People are doing reviews in other locations. The number two place is in Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Goodreads is important. It's a necessary evil. It's not very exciting. It's not the sexiest platform in the world, but it's important for people to have their quotes there. It's important for people to do reviews there. People try to find books there, but it's not the best experience. You know, mm-hmm. I, I bet you we, we've got actual statistics, but I can tell you it's over 90% of the people don't really like the experience, but they understand that product is what it is. We want to go and change that. We want to create, and, and I'm not just saying for Buki Call or even Bookstar PR. I'm saying in general, I personally am attracted to killer experiences. You, you will have me come back, spend more money, and talk about you positively on every social media platform that I have if I have a great experience. And you could actually make a mistake. Maybe the product isn't great on this day. Maybe I had a bad experience on one small little thing, but if the totality of the experience is bad or if it's consistently bad, then I'm not coming back. I don't care what the business is. So I love that thought. If your mindset is like Starbucks, let's don't reinvent coffee. Let's reinvent the experience. And guess what happens? Everybody follows them now. They're basically the the, the bar that has been set. So I think from a book you know, industry itself and a book marketing industry. I think we've done that in the book marketing. I feel pretty good about it from a book industry. We're not changing books. We just want to change the way that people discover them. And if we can become the the go-to book discovery platform, people are going to be so much happier. They're going to be happy and find exactly what they were looking for. They will, and their lives will be changed because of the, of the right books that they are being recommended. You got it, man. From your lips to God's ears, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I would like to uh, start asking some uh, final questions to to wrap up. Um, and yeah, so the first one is about, yeah, books. What are some books you have recently read or what are some of your favorite books that you would like to share? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, you know, one that I'm reading right now, I'm a huge fan of Jen Sincero. Uh, she wrote um, You're a Badass. Mm-hmm. And so she's got this little group of books, uh, Badass Habits. Badass, yeah. Yeah, and You're Badass at Making Money. Um, so I'm reading about uh, habits right now. So I was a huge fan of Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a pretty, it's a heady book. It's a dense book. But I was actually licensed and trained to teach the seven habits of highly effective people from his company in Salt Lake City. I've met him several times. So I knew him when he was alive. Um, I was teaching this at Hard Rock while I was there for my 21 years. So I believed in, in that book. So I understood the concept of habits. If you do something for 21 days, you can build a habit. 
her, her insight and humor is so refreshing. It's you talk about edutainment. Her books are phenomenal. <laughs> um, you were talking about a book earlier. One of my favorite books is a book called Radical Leap uh, by an author named uh, Steve Farber. So his books, they're the type of books I love. They're very thin. They got big letters. If they had pictures, it'd be even better for me. But you can read through it in like an hour or two. They're quick reads, but it's all told through a story. It's all told through an analogy, but it is life-changing experiences when you read the thing. Um, good friend of mine uh, named Lori Rudeman right now, who is very well known in the human resources space. So, uh, she wrote a book called uh, Betting on You. And it is all about, uh, you know, focusing on what you can do to make your life better. It's a business book, but there's a lot of personal development stuff that's in there. And uh, you know what? If I can shine a spotlight on Brant, his book, Black Sheep, um, you know, my, my stuff, we, we joke about that between he and I. His stuff is more life-changing. It's really inspiring. Mine <laughs> is always more tactical and practical. Mine's way more educational because that's my background. Together, I think we make a great team, especially in some of the training programs we do. But his book really is life-changing for people that are looking to create a good value orientation for their personal life. And it'll work over in business as well. I found his book, um, you know, just absolutely mind-blowing. So, hey, man, I I love to prop that guy up whenever I can. Yeah, I I actually read Black Sheep a year ago. I think it was, yeah, almost a year ago. And yeah, it was life changing. It's it's a great book, and it is also a short book. So yeah, yeah, you like it too. <laughs> um, then uh, another question that I used to ask uh, many months ago, and I want to uh, start asking it again: is what is something that you have recently learned or discovered uh, that you found like very interesting or very exciting and valuable that you would like to share? It could be about leadership, culture, business personal development, whatever you want. Hmm. That would be another great question. Um, I feel like, well, since we've been talking about business, that's what's on my mind right now. What I'm learning is that a lot of the, the bigger businesses, um, Apple, and I'm an Apple fan, Amazon, I used to be an Amazon fan. These are worlds mm-hmm. that I have to play in and, and you do as well. What I'm discovering more and more, especially as I write my next book around service, the bigger that you become, the harder it is for you to lose your way and you lose sight of the end user. You lose sight of the customer. Um, I, I don't know that I could get a hold of a human being at Amazon right now. If you try and contact them, they make it so difficult, so hard. You jump through a lot of hoops. It's all electronic. It's all done through their platform, their emails. I, if you just had a conversation with me and were to communicate and connect with me, so many issues would be solved. And so just in the last nine months of the companies that that we've been doing with Bookstar PR and now Buki Call, we're reliant on these big companies, but we're starting to think, are there some things that we can do to not have them involved, to help out mom and pop small businesses? Can I get people to get back into independent bookstores versus getting mm-hmm. you know beaten up by Amazon? It's just like all the smaller businesses that are in your local hometowns you want to support them versus always going to Walmart. I mean, there's a reason for Walmart. I like them for, you know, whatever. And there's certainly low pricing, but you also don't want to do it at the expense of, at least in my country, the American dream. So, you know, I, I probably always knew this, 
but now it's becoming more and more ensconced in my brain. And coming out of the pandemic, I cannot for the life of me fathom why people aren't bending over backwards more for the customer. There should be more attention to detail. There should be more sense of urgency. We should be making eye contact. You should be loving on me and, and wanting my business to come back. But the one big epiphany for me is the bigger that you got, the further away that you got, you've lost your way from a value orientation. So, you know, I just, I hope that there are companies that really understand as they start to grow, you know, even as an entrepreneur like yourself, if you wind up hiring staff, you get bigger and bigger and bigger. You got to keep having those conversations to stay grounded. Let's never lose sight of the guest of the client. Do you think that like uh, this companies, Apple, Amazon, uh, could not avoid falling into this trap of um, losing like uh, the human uh, interaction? Do, do you think that's something that uh, would have happened uh, if it? Yeah, something that would have definitely happened uh, when when they grew. So is that like what what always happens, or what are what are your thoughts on there? Well, it's probably not fair to pick on those two because they're the two biggest companies in the world. <laughs> probably, <laughs> but I would say that let's just say they're they're they've got one one hundredth of their business. You're probably still so big that if you're just now thinking about it, it's too late. It's too late to rein it back in. So I guess my push would be to up and coming businesses, small entrepreneurs, um, as you grow, I think keeping your hands on it, knowing you're going to franchise, you're going to be in cities, in, in states, in countries, then you're going to be international. As you get bigger and bigger, you've got to make sure that you hire absolute rock stars in leadership roles. And if you get that right and you at least communicate, you know, here's a good example. Um, I think about, Brian Moynihan, I talk about him in my book, you know, he's the, the CEO of Bank of America, one of the biggest banks on the planet. His direct reports, I think he's only got five or six people and that's it. So he works absolutely on those five or six, but each one of them have 10 or 15. So if you could start from the top and get it to resonate down and you hold people accountable and you you reward and recognize based on those things that are important. That's how you keep that culture, even as you get bigger. So to your point, it's maybe unavoidable at this point for those two, but as far down as you could drill, if you could get it to perpetuate down to, a, you know, some local township, some city with that leader who's in charge of those individuals, that's really the company anyway. The customer doesn't know about the top person. They only know about the ones that they're spending the money with locally. So I think it can be done. You know, great example. When I was working at Hard Rock, because of a, new, a unique position that was created for me, I, I was basically a corporate training manager. I would go off to do the openings, but then I would come back to my home cafe to run manager shifts. But the general manager, my boss, you know, he didn't select me. I was imposed upon him. The corporate support center, the corporate office told me I would run shifts here in Orlando and they would pull me out. Well, that frustrated the general manager. So they would normally give people, you've got the bar department, you've got the server department, you got the dishwashers. He didn't give me any departments. He didn't develop me at all. He basically saw me as obsolete. Now I have two options. I can either be, uh, and be all mad about it. Or I know the shifts that he's going to put me on, I'm going to have to work weekends, I'm going to have to work nights, I'm going to get the worst 
shifts that there are. But guess what happens on the shifts when all of the team are working with me? We're going to have fun. We're going to be mm. laughing. I'm going to be doing contests. The, the people that are working there, they don't necessarily think of the entire company culture. They think of the culture that's happening at that shift. So in my mind, in lieu of leadership, you've got to lead. And so if you're working, if you've got anybody listening right now on your show, they're working for a really big, gargantuan, massive company, you can still create this great culture, you know? And I think you can rein it in a little bit, maybe not enterprise company-wide, but you could do it locally. I still think a single person with great ideas can start a revolution. That, that's how dictator-led countries are overthrown. That's how philanthropic movements are started. That's how cultures are protected and perpetuated. So I do think it's possible, but, you know, again, it's probably not fair with those two companies. They're so mm -hmm. big. I don't know if you could change it company-wide, but if I was a manager in my home city and I was running that little area, that would be a pretty fun culture. I guarantee it. Yeah, change starts within, and then it's it, it goes outside. It Actually, happen. this this last part reminds me of something I read in a book that you guys from Bookstar PR sent me, and it was Mitch Gray's uh, "How to Hire and Keep Great People." Yeah, and, great and yeah, and he, he he talks about how like um, helping your employees and helping your people. Um, you know, uh, develop personally and grow spiritually and internally helps helps them in their other areas of their lives. And, right. and thus the business uh, is improved and everything gets gets better. And that's something I, I love and I kind of uh, relate to to this last part. Yeah. And it's, you know, I learned this also from my hard rock days, but his book really, it really solidifies it. I think people in general don't think that spirituality and business can work together, but it can. You know, Mitch was a former preacher. Brant was actually a former minister as well. Both of them have that in their background. And I think it's just about being kind and caring about people and loving on them and treating them like human beings. So I don't, I don't get into religion or, or spirituality. I just think thought, word, and deed have to be on the same page what you say you're going to do and what you actually do are very important because as you know, people care so much more about what you do than what you say. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people out there flapping their gums and they're saying one thing and they, they become a, they become a lip sinker. They don't become a rock star. The, the rock stars are the ones that actually say, this is what I'm going to do. And they go and do it. And so I, I think Mitch is, is spot on when you can get people to think, about the people working with you or for you as real whole human beings and they're heard and they're seen, you're gonna get so much more out of them. They'll, they'll, it'll become so much bigger than just a business. It becomes a lifestyle. Listen, we're gonna spend the majority of our life at a job more than anywhere else, even more than sleeping. You may as well make it the absolute best experience that you can. That's totally within a leader's purview. They can make that happen. Yeah, Tony Robbins. Actually, I learned this from from Tony Robbins. He talks about how business is a spiritual game, and it's about how can I be of value for others, and how can I add uh, value the most to other people. And that's what I am trying to do with. So right now, like my only business is the Reader Lounge, but also with future businesses that I wanna that I wanna create. Um, why, why do you keep bringing up Tony Robbins? What have you learned from me, Emiliano? Come on. What okay. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, but like for real, I, with the books that you guys have sent me with these podcasts, with uh, Tony Robbins, with, with every, every mentor that I have uh, had, um, like I, I, I have seen that yeah, stuff like repeats itself and it's like a similar mindset that people have. And this, this idea of treating people as people and being kind is repeated in many philosophies, in many business philosophies with you, with Tony, with, with, with many people. And well, my, <laughs> the, the last, uh, question that I ask is because my podcast is called the transformation journeys. What is your definition of transformation and how you approach it? And in your case, I would like you to, to answer it, uh, through the lens of like personal transformation, but also business transformation. Yeah. So I think people get nervous about the word transformation because, uh, it, it, it It, you know, people think of it as change and it is, I mean, change one isn't always easy. It is hard. Um, most people don't like change. Um, there's some language that I actually use in my book and from the stage, I basically say, listen, if you don't like change, you're going to hate the extinction because mm -hmm. not being around isn't fun. Change is coming. Change is a coming. Like, you know, I just think about the Bob Dylan song times they are changing. So When I think of transformation, you can do a lot of things. You could get freaked out of the change. You can update your resume. You could shake your fish. You could get upset. You could curse. You could yell. You could do whatever. Or you could lean into it. You could accept it. You could be a part of the change. You could get in front of it. And I think this is where transformation comes in. If you're at one level and you're trying to get to another, and maybe even thinking vertically isn't right, I just getting from one space to another space. I think in a positive way is where transformation there's negative transformation as well. But I think most people when they hear it is a, is a better word than change. But I just think when you say it, it does freak people out because they worry about I'm, I'm comfortable here. What does that mean for me? And how is that going to affect my life? So in my life personally, you know, I call these personal culture shifts. So I, I know that there are inflection points in my life. You know, I wanted to play football not in the cards, too short, right? I wanted to sing for a living. My voice isn't good enough. You know, I know that there are, there's a mindset that there are things that happen to you or things that happen for you. And so I look at life as just being like Shrek says, we're layered with onions, right? Like an onion, you peel away at each layer. So things that happen, I now lean into the change and say, This sucks right now, but this is not only a learning opportunity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it to my advantage. I'm going to lean into the change and I'm going to figure out a way to transform this into something great. And it might be so transformational that it makes my life personally better. Certainly that's how Brant and I have seen the transformation. We started off just hanging out as friends thinking, you're a keynote speaker, I'm a keynote speaker, could we do stuff together? That's where Certified Rockstar came in. Then all of a sudden we go, listen, why don't we start a podcast? Thought set rock happens. Then we start thinking about how our books are being marketed. Not very well. Could we fill the gap? Could we solve something for authors? That's how books start PR. And just from the one transformation that came out of that, from a simple podcast idea to now Buki Call is going to be this revolutionary app. That's transformational. So I, I fully expect that at some point, Buki Call and Bookstar PR will be the only things we do. If we go to speak, 
it might be as co-founders telling our story. Maybe I'm not going to be mm-hmm. speaking as a keynote speaker that I do now, and we'll make more money doing it. Who knows where it is? But I can tell you, even during challenging times, like they, they have been the last year and a half, and probably what's coming up as well, it doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me at all, my friend, because for me, the transformation, the journey is is just as fun as getting there. Like I, I hope I never get to Nirvana. I hope I just have a fun, you know, a, a fun stairway to heaven to get there. <laughs> Boom. Two music references. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the, the, those two. And I think that I did get them. <laughs> at least yeah. the last one I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, but 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 yeah, I um like in 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 my case like with business i i have been trying to approach them through this lens of transformation and of you know just making a positive change and leaning into change instead of just uh, waiting for change to come to me and then being all screwed up yeah but, yeah and Not well gonna... yeah uh, jim is there anything else you you would like to add no, man, I'm telling you, I, I, I had a blast doing this. Luckily, my computer is on 4%, so oh. it's coming right to the end. Um, and I would say if people like the stuff that you and I have been talking about, um, they can certainly go and check out things on my website, um, which is Nightspeaker, my last name, K-N-I-G-H-T, nightspeaker.com. The all roads lead to that. You'll see the podcasts and the books and the training and some of the stuff that I do with Brant as well. But Brother, it's it's an honor to be on here, and I appreciate you asking me. Just having an opportunity to talk to your your audience is uh, uh, I'm truly inspired. So thank you for that, my friend. Well, thank you for for coming, and yeah, it was great, and I am excited to see what's what the future holds for Bookstar PR and also for Bookie Call, and I am excited for for the launch. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon.